This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look back at Oliver and Company to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Uh, first and foremost, this is another Boys' Night podcast as Sarah prepares for her show that uh, I think no, uh, debuted. False. She's in a show currently. She's in a show. <laughs> she, it debuted this week. Yes. Uh, so if you haven't seen uh, Noises Off that she is in... You're shit out of luck because this comes out after it has already been performed. True. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Oliver and Company was luckily Mark's pick, so he is going to start us off with a 60-second synopsis as I prepare a timer here. Oh, I'm doing it as you're preparing the timer. Oh, right, right, right. You'll get 60 (laughs) seconds from where I start, so that'll give you some extra time. Uh, No, Um, so, Mark, are you ready? Do you think you're going to pull it off this time? Uh, I, I think so. When I timed myself, it was under 60 seconds, but maybe I'll be slower now, so we'll see. Uh, who knows? <laughs> All right. The pressure is on. And in three, two, one, go. The tale of Oliver begins with a homeless cat living on the streets of New York. After a streetwise dog uses the hungry Oliver to help him steal some hot dogs, he refuses to share them, and Oliver follows him back to his home with a gang of homeless dogs and one human who takes care of them. We learn that Fagin is deep in debt to a criminal named Bill Sykes who has threatened to kill him if he doesn't get the money he owes within the next three days. The next day, the dogs set out with Oliver to find the money to help their human friend, but the heist goes wrong and Oliver is left behind. The gang goes on a mission to rescue their friend and discover he is living in a ritzy mansion, so Fagin devises a plan to trade Oliver for the money he needs. When a young Jenny shows up with a piggy bank, Fagin realizes his plan won't work and gives Oliver back for free. Sykes has been watching from the shadows and has a better plan. He kidnaps the girl instead. Fagin and his furry friends mount to rescue, and during the final chase scene, Sykes is killed by a head-on collision with a train. Jenny invites her new family over, and they all celebrate her birthday. The end. Fantastic. Five seconds remaining. You got it in, and there it is. Hey. (laughs) All right, well done. I think, yeah, we've had a pretty good run of those lately. I think we've yeah, all got them in under time. I, I decided that, well, I didn't decide, I guess. I just left out all the sur- superfluous. That's a big word. I oh, left out all the extra stuff that didn't have, well, it all had something to do with the story. But I tried to stick to the main story and leave it at that. Um, all right, I, so let's get into long form. Yes. Uh, what did you see as an adult that you may have missed as a child? So... I remember liking this movie like when because it came out in 1988, so this is its 30 Correct. year anniversary. It should be about the time that this comes out. It was it came it was released November 18th, so I don't know when the podcast is going to be released. Uh, so, sometime before that, likely the 14th of November. So close. 
but so it'll be 30 years old by the time you listen to this maybe so um i think when it came out i don't know if i ever saw it in theaters but i remember seeing it when i was younger and i liked it because it's animated it's a disney movie and it's cats and dogs what kid doesn't like an animated cats and dogs movie from disney absolutely and there were a lot at this time that you could be watching this is certainly one of them so i um I, I feel like I watched it again more recently. I don't know how, how recently, probably within the last 10 years or so, and I really didn't get much out of it. <laughs> so I uh, I think I mentioned that to Sarah one time, which is why I wanted to do this, and of course she's gone during this episode, so she can't mm-hmm. yell at me like normal. But I, I, I just don't remember. I, I don't think I like it as much now as I thought I did then. And I don't. I I think what I during my watching now, it the the animation is good. Yeah. You can tell. Oh, you can tell that they did some research and know how cats and dogs move based yeah. on the way that they did the motion in the animation. However, the background art is something I didn't care for so much. Like the overall scenes, it was just, a right. sti- I think it was stylized that way on purpose, mm-hmm. but I did not care for it so much. So. Right. So, so I have a, li- let me uh, sprinkle in some information here. Your, your first point that you brought up was that uh, it came out in 88. It is getting a uh, 30 year anniversary of the film's release in theaters. However, at this time, Disney was very bad at getting video releases out. And so the video release of this, probably the version that you saw, was released in 1996, which is around the time that I saw it, um, because I would not have gone to a theater having just been born this the year it came out. You, really? That, well, I... Yeah. I, that, so it, I don't think it that's took true, them eight maybe? years to get it out on video. Well, by 96, I would have been... 13 so <laughs> so <laughs> well maybe you did see it in theaters. don't do the math about that but i don't think i would have been watching the vhs at that point so maybe it was in theaters that i saw it i just know that i saw it when i was young so yeah so this was never a, a touchstone for me growing up i i confuse it with a lot of things and i mean that's going to show up later in the pitch games but i expected the siamese cats from lady and the tramp <laughs> to be in this film uh, I also kind of confused it with the Aristocats. I was un unconf- I was totally unfamiliar with the story of this film. And what surpri- what I remembered before having watched it now, I think the version that I watched for this recording was one of their remastered versions or whatever. I I remember it being kind of a horror animation <laughs> style where like. You know, if if in some of the older animation that's not cleaned up as well, you can see that some, every now and then you'll see like the sketch lines show up for where right. the characters' heads and body parts will be, and they'll just it'll be just like half a second. You'll just see it pop up and go away again because they didn't erase it well enough or something. And I think the one that I saw was a lot cleaner than that. I just remember it being one of those how kind of dirtier, muddied. but but you know yeah. what I mean. So I think this one was a cleaner version of it, but. I don't know. That kind of, again, to me, I like it to be that clean version. Right. So when yeah, you see no, all the sketch lines, better. it's kind of a... Some people like that because you can see how the animators did it. And, yeah, no, but like but, that's like leaving scaffolding up after a building exactly. has been built. 
Uh, so for me, I love I like the animation here. I did find it very bright and clean, especially with all the motion that goes on. And motion in this film is handled very well. Like the the characters never seem uh, blurred or they're trying to trick your eye in any way. I felt like especially Dodger hopping from car to car or like going up in the air. That was very clean animation for me. Uh, so the other thing. I know about animation is like in poor animation, normally what you see is there's a darker background and there's a lighter thing in the foreground. And if you see that, you know that the lighter thing is going to move in some way. Yeah. And I, I did not notice this in this film. I felt like, um, knowing which thing was going to move, I was never quite sure. Maybe it's cause they just filled the frame with a lot of things that are moving all at once. Uh, but especially, like those big scenes uh, where Dodger is singing his song and jumping around and whatnot, I found like, yeah, this is really well done. Uh, it's very bright, very clean. Nothing seems darker and than this anything was else. Also, um, which I uh, definitely didn't notice as a child watching this, but having seen some other shows that are done with this technique, I could tell that there were parts of this that were computer animated. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So so there was that going on, which may be different from like what you're saying, because I know mm -hmm. it, like if you're watching traditional hand drawn animation, you can tell there's a piece that's part of the quote background, but then right. it's a different color than everything else. And suddenly they pick it up and walk around with it or something. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. so or maybe like the, the computer and aided stuff had something to do with that on this one. But yeah, it's possibly the one I can think of that is the most egregious with this was uh, the Scooby-Doo episodes. Yes. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, you could always tell which book in the bookcase they were going to take out because it was a lighter color than anything else it was around. Or the one that's going to release the secret passageway or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see. So I want to get into uh, some of the characters here, uh, but let's see. Oh, I had a place to go, and then I forgot. Hmm. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, another thing I wanted to say about the animation uh, is they did really watch dogs to figure out how different breeds move. That is really well done here. And especially in the beginning, I like that... Uh, Oliver's wandering, wandering around trying to find uh, humans that will adopt him, and nobody is taking him, even though all of his siblings have been taking. Uh, but all of these shots at the the early onset of the movie are from his level. All we see are the legs of the adults. Uh, we don't see like any of the big picture building stuff. We only see street level uh, about like a foot off of the ground because that's what Oliver is experiencing. And I don't know if you read up on that. Um, one of the things that I saw said that the animators working on the film actually went to New York and took photos to do their background scenes, but they took them from 12 to 18 inches off the ground so that they would have all the buildings in perspective from the height that the dogs would be at. Yeah, and I think, like, that amount of research shows up in the film really well. It it feels like you're, the, I guess, that high. Um, and I in other movies, I feel like they don't do that as well. I don't know. I liked it in this film. And see what, going back to the animation again, what kind of gets, is, so what got me to pick this movie at this point was I was thinking about 30-year anniversaries earlier in the summer because... This summer was also the 30th anniversary of, of me. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
Oh, right. That too. And I had missed that anniversary by like a month by the time I realized it. And I was like, oh, well, let's look at other ones. And that's how I picked this one for November. So, but what's interesting to me is that came out before this one. And I liked that movie a lot more than I liked this one. And there's yes. things of that one that I remember more. And the animation seemed more finished and clean to me. And then, I mean, this was also... You hear about the Disney Renaissance, which some people will say started with Little Mermaid in 89, but then there are people that say it started with Roger Rabbit in 88. But if it started with Roger Rabbit, I don't know where you put Oliver in that, because <laughs> I don't know that it was quite as popular as either of those. Right. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't consider this Renaissance. I mean, I know they're using computer-generated animation. I guess my Renaissance uh, was much later the film's made in the 90s and this like just being before that it seems to at least be copying the style of traditional animation right and most of it is like it's not toy story computer animation this no. is like where i mean they even had computer animation in beauty and the beast and Aladdin well, sure, and all but those i would where it was i would just... say it's not to the level of like the the sultan's castle in aladdin where like you can tell that's computer generated but it's like uh, really glossy, and it tries to present something that doesn't look like traditional animation. It kind of reminded me of, like, Futurama animation. Yeah. Because you can tell that the cars don't look like hand-drawn animation, but they still look that same color palette that you would see for normal animation. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Uh, I guess it's trying to... Um, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but it looks like they're using computer graphics to make a 2D image as opposed to making computer graphics to do a 3D image that we're seeing from some perspective. Although, and since this was in the 80s, it was early for computer-aided stuff. Although, I mean, there were several films before this one that used computer stuff. We don't need to go into that because this is so, about Oliver. I will say the the reason you may not remember this film is maybe it's not the greatest plot. Maybe the characters aren't that memorable. Well, now the plot is based off of the Broadway musical, so uh, yes, it's not exactly for, the same, but it is based for on the musical. The Broadway musical has way darker overtones and a lot more characters that are awful to each other. So I feel like they stripped away um, from the Broadway musical to make it more kid-friendly and make it a much more succinct story so they could get it done in an hour and a half. But I think something got lost there. Well, and, I mean, they're also trying to make it a family movie. So, I mean, the villain does get smushed by a train at the end of the movie. Yeah, so, he does. Which doesn't happen in the Broadway version, by <laughs> the way. But. Really? They don't bring a train on stage? It's interesting how Disney movies like to murder off the villains at the end of the movies, and they're still a family movie somehow, even though showing someone die at the end. But since it's the bad guy, it's okay, I guess. Yeah, uh, as long as the character is pure evil and the death isn't shown, it's implied, I think you could get away with it at this time. Because also, like, the villain's dogs are pretty much dead at the end of the film. Yeah. And that's not fully addressed uh, we just kind of don't hear from them again. Well, you notice that in, in a lot of animated movies, the Dobermans are the evil dogs, too. Oh, of course. 
They have to be because they're the the guard dogs, and only an evil person would need guard dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Mr. Bird. Anywho, so let's get into the, the characters in this film. Let, let's talk first about the titular Oliver. Uh, I liked some of this, well, hmm. So I liked some of the character development they did with this guy. The first time they show him, he's in a box with all of his siblings, uh, and he just seems so eager to get ad- adopted. I felt really emotionally connected to this character. I felt really bad when it started to rain and he was the only one left in his box. Uh, the other really neat thing they do is within like the first five minutes when he's out on his own, they kind of give a sense that he's a little kid by showing him uh, with a, a paw in a shoe that's too big for him uh, and under a baseball cap that is too big for him, like a, like a little boy would wear, trying on his dad's shoes and cap. Uh, the perspective thing I talked about, they made you know everything from Oliver's point of view, which was great. The thing that loses me later on in the film with Oliver is I don't know what's best for this character because he gets adopted by these group of thieves that seem to bring him in. He seems to be making friends uh, and like they teach him how to survive on the street and then he lucks into getting adopted by a rich family and uh, he gets pulled back both ways and like I don't know what's going to be best for him. He likes being with the little girl, but he also likes being with his friends. And so, like, there, it also doesn't seem to be a conflict for him. Yeah, he doesn't really seem to care which way he goes. Yeah, Because exactly. he's okay with the dogs, and he just happens to end up with the girl. And then, while he's staying at Jenny's house, mm-hmm. there's the dog there that hates him. So right, even but, if he enjoys the but family, but he doesn't and even know there. that the dog hates him is the thing. <laughs> so I, it's and again, I mean, I have the based on the Broadway musical of Oliver. It, I mean, it's kind of the same thing where he gets taken in by the thieves who are all homeless, and since he is an orphan and is out on the streets, they take him in and make him part of the family. But eventually he. <laughs> When trying to steal something, he gets caught by the guy who he's stealing from and ends up being adopted by that same guy, which is kind of a cool story. Even you think, I mean, that the that the rich guy, instead of like, hey, you're an evil kid, you need to go get go to jail or something, he just takes him in and says, I'm going to teach you to grow up the right way. Okay. And actually give you a good life. But it's, it's I mean, it's kind of similar, except that this is a little girl who's living without her parents who went on vacation and are not coming back for her birthday. Yeah, so <laughs> really terrible parents. Yes. I thought the thing in the Oliver the Musical was uh, he was delivered to the orphanage or whatever with a locket. They find the locket, and it's a picture of his mother. And the guy who adopts him figures out that the picture was his daughter, something weird like that. Um, And so he was born wealthy, but his mom died and he got sent to the orphanage. I sure don't remember that ever happening. I I I took a brief Wikipedia <laughs> well, you reference. You did a Wikipedia so that... search, and I actually saw the show professionally on stage. So. Right years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago. Although they did just do it recently at the community theater here, and I don't remember that happening then either. But uh, I don't know. We're both working with imperfect information. It's true. 
I, but either way, he ends up with the rich family in yeah. both versions. So you would think from the viewer's perspective, oh, it's the rich family. They'll bring him up the right way. But when you see how this girl's parents treat her, um, how how good could that rich household be for him in the end? Maybe having his actual family who loves him and will right. be there for him when he needs them is better, even if they're the homeless dogs. Yeah, so like... Tr- in traditional stories like this, it's normally presented as one is the the path that seems better at first, but is ultimately worse for you. The other is the one that seems, I guess, a more harrowing life, but you get more love out of that. And that's the, the choice you should go with, even though it seems harder. Where in this film, both of them seem pretty good. The character isn't torn between them. Uh, as to which one they prefer. And so as a viewer, I don't know who to root for, whether it should be Dodger's team or whether it should be Jenny, because both of them are nice to Oliver and neither one is worse. And so that's, I guess, an emotional confusion I had, given that Oliver is the main character. They present a lot of things to get you emotionally connected for him, and they don't give him a clear path as to what is best for him. Yeah, so during like the the second act and I would say into the third act, I don't I don't know who to root for. I I kind of get lost in this film. Although you definitely know not to root for Bill Sykes. Yes, and I also know not to root for Fagin even though he seems initially nice. Right, he's I never understood that even in the Broadway version. I I guess mm-hmm. I never read the the book. Um maybe I did, but it was a long time ago. Uh and it was you know, he's the homeless guy out on the street who's teaching kids how to steal for money. So mm-hmm. you don't really want him to be the hero. But at the same time, at least he's treating the kids nicely as opposed to Sykes, who just wants to use everyone to his own advantage. So, um, and, and again, in this version, Sykes seems to be like a mob boss almost. Yeah. <laughs> he has like his guard dogs and his fancy car and all this, but... In the stage play, he's also part of this homeless gang who is just a criminal out there trying to make a living somehow, however he can. Uh Weird. So it's interesting in this version, he seems to be, I I don't know that I would say he seems rich because they go find him like on the wharf or wherever he is at the end, like out on the harbor somewhere. But um, he does have the fancy car that none of the homeless people have, so... (laughs) Yeah, so I guess they wanted to make it more clear to children, I guess, but to make the distinction between Fagin and Sykes. Because, let's see, I understood him to be somewhat of like, have some sort of criminal enterprise, maybe be the leader of a mob, even though the only people we see in his mob are these two dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, where, a, where in the, the play version, or musical, I suppose, I always thought that Fagin was the leader of the group and Sykes was supposed to be under him, but it seems to be the other way around in this movie. Well, like, and even Fagin doesn't seem a part of Sykes' team. Right. It seems like Sykes has given him, like, a mob loan with an incredibly large interest that... Uh, Fagin was unable to pay back, which is why he's calling in the debts now and threatens his life. Hey, if I don't get my money, you're going to die. So figure out how to get me my money. And that also never happened in the play either. But <laughs> Yeah. 
So, I mean, I can understand uh, the, the alignment of Sykes. He is the big bad. He is the evil person in this film. I can't understand the alignment or whether I should root for Fagin or not. Because at the beginning of the film, he seems really nice to his group of dogs. He seems to be the type of character that is poor in money but is rich in love. He seems to enjoy his life. And then later in the film, he's hatching a kidnapping scheme. Yeah. So it's just, I, I don't know where I land on this guy. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to figure out who you want to, to win this. Yeah. Other than you want Oliver to end up where he needs to be, I guess. Yeah, I want him to be happy, but he seems happy wherever he is. <laughs> Even when he's homeless in a box. Yeah. He, and part of it is he's he's a very young character. So maybe as he grows up, he would learn that he doesn't want to be a criminal. But they don't really uh, pronounce that in the film. You're left to interpret that on your own. So going back to you wanted to work through the characters and we got a little off track there. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, that was all kind of encapsulated in Oliver, the character. Where do you want to go now? Well, I, you, you wanted to look at characters, so I thought I you do. had a specific list in mind. Oh, sure. Let's, well, let's go right down the list and go to Dodger. Yeah. I, so, again, having seen the, the actual musical on stage... So it seems to me in this movie, Dodger is kind of the leader of the group. I mean, you have yes. Fagin, who is the human, so I guess he's the actual leader and owner of owner of all the dogs, even though kind he doesn't of, own yeah. them. Dodger seems to be the one who's in charge, almost. They all look to him to give them the plans and to kind of be the leader of the dogs. But I don't know, again, in the musical uh, or in the book where he is kind of, he's the one teaching Oliver how to do stuff, but I don't know that he's necessarily in charge of any of the other kids. Yeah, that's fair. I would say, like, I think they copied his personality fairly well, where he is the person who really enjoys living on the street. He's figured out how to work the system and how to move around. He likes being a part of this undercity because he can get whatever he wants and he doesn't have to follow rules. So that part they copied fairly well. Um, but yeah, the him being the leader of a gang, maybe that works better here where we've got to condense the story down and get kids more interested. Well, and I think, again kids watching this are going to relate to the dogs anyway because, hey, it's Absolutely. a dog, so oh, they might as well make him be the focus of attention, Yeah, the dog and the cat. So so we, we haven't mentioned yet. Dodger here is voiced by Billy Joel, uh, and he uh, gets a song that I'd say is the most popular song from this film, uh, that of, uh, what is it? Is it just called Why Should I Worry? Uh, yes. I believe that's the name of it. And... Honestly, this is a really good song. But for a movie where you're casting the main character as Billy Joel, it's weird that you're only giving him one song. Like, I would... Not that this has to be Moving Out, which is a jukebox musical of all of Billy Joel's songs, but I, he's a famous musician. You've got him in a leading role. Why don't you give him two or three songs and have a, more of a pull for the film? Kind of like Labyrinth, where... <laughs> where Bowie just sang every song in the movie. <laughs> well, maybe. 
I suppose the other problem I have is this is maybe the only song I enjoyed in the film. Yeah, that's that was my... And even then, it's... So, the movie starts off with a song all about Oliver... I don't remember the words, but it was something about Oliver, don't give up, keep chasing your dreams and living your life, something, something. And... Every song in this movie just kind of, to me, locked it into the time that it came out. Yeah. And even the Why Should I Worry song, is a, it's a, it has a good beat, and it's a, probably mm-hmm. the best song in the movie. But yes. again, you can kind of tell it's from that time period, and it doesn't... Like, if you go to a collection of Disney songs from movies, you might find this one, but you're going to find songs from a lot of other movies instead, because this one was still not as popular, even though this was the best song in this movie. Yes. None of the songs here are really showstoppers. Most other Disney films have at, at least one or two songs that are will be better than any song in this movie. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel like... Uh, this is where Billy we need Joel. Sarah here to complain to both of us about how wrong I know, we are. I know. You know oh, she would. <laughs> she would. She gave. She gave. Why should I worry? Ten out of ten songs. Uh, <laughs> I think I. I would agree with that. I liked this one. The other music. Um, we get Ruth Pointer singing "Streets of Gold." We get Bette Midler singing "Perfect Ain't Easy." But uh, it just none of them really connect I, with me. Now I don't even remember. Bette Midler was um, Poodle. Yeah, the, the Poodle the Dog Poodle. one. Yes. So I actually kind of liked that song too, but that's because that that jazzy big band genre is kind of something that I like anyway. So so that song was good, but it's still kind of I I don't even know what that character is in relation to like the stage yeah, play. Yeah, I don't know how she fits in. The closest I could see in like a plot synopsis is that um, uh, I think Sykes is supposed to have a wife and that wife is supposed to be living a life of luxury. I think that's the closest analog for Georgette, which is this poodle, where she's a wealthy dog and she thinks about being wealthy uh, and living the life she lives. So her song is all about building her character, and in that sense, it works well for the film, but, like, you're not going to be tapping your toes to this, you're not going to be repeating this, I couldn't sing you the melody of this song. Yeah, I think it was more about giving the audience an idea of who her character is more than it was about just being a big song for everybody to enjoy. (laughs) But I... I don't know. There were and the, kind of the same thing that you did. There were parts of this that reminded me of Lady and the Tramp because there was uh, they're in the pound and there's a dog singing a song that has nothing to do with anything in this movie. But that's the only thing I could think of while she was singing this. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that you mentioned Bette Midler and Billy Joel. Like some these are some pretty big name people. Like Oliver was voiced by Joey Lawrence. Who, yeah. I don't know what he's doing now, but he was got pretty big in the 90s, I think. Right, he was a fairly so. famous kid star. Um, and uh, or, Wait, am I thinking of the wrong Robert Loggia? <laughs> However I want to pronounce his name. I do. But he was... Um, I don't know if you looked into this too far, Carl. But nope, sure I haven't. He was, one, he was the general guy in Independence Day. 
Oh, nice. Um, so we already reviewed that movie, I think. We did that movie. <laughs> so so I, it's kind of and not that it has anything to do with the two, but he was Bill Sykes. Um, so he oh, was okay. kind of in Independence Day. He was not really a bad guy, but, you know, it. he had that kind of a gruffer voice. Yeah, he was playing, I believe, a somewhat cold hearted military man. In Independence Day, he was not really the bad guy. He was just part of the military and had to tell people what to do. But it it kind of fits in this movie. I wouldn't have even recognized the voice, actually, until I looked up who all the actors were. So. Oh, I definitely didn't notice. Uh, and, oh, of course I recognize Dom DeLuise as Fagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't miss a Dom DeLuise voice. It's very <laughs> distinct. All right, so finishing up on Dodger... I so they give him some character work, but not a terrible a lot. There is a particular moment where I think like I had an emotional connection to Dodger, and that's when like he hatches the plan with the crew to go and rescue Oliver because he think Oliver has been taken in by this rich family against his will. They go, they rescue him, they bring him back, and Dodger is shocked to learn that Oliver enjoyed his life there. Even though Dodger welcomed him into his world with open arms, he was going to teach him the trade, Dodger gave him a family, and now he wants to go and live off with these strangers. However, they've only known each other a day. One day is how much time they've spent together before Oliver has gotten kidnapped. Yeah, I... So, and that was, like, like you said with Oliver, Dodger is a hard character to figure out for me, because at the beginning... We meet him while he's supposedly teaming up with Oliver to get food. Then he refuses to share the food that Oliver did most of the work to try to get. He's the one that did all the distracting and got beat up by <laughs> by the cart guy. And then Dodger just runs away with this string of hot dogs and makes Oliver chase him down while he sings a song. Part of me wants to believe that this was Dodger's plan on purpose just to test the cat and see how well he did as a street person, and that's why they all welcomed him into the gang so easily. Oh, okay. But at the same time, it's like you did this together, and then you come back and tell everybody about this harrowing adventure you had to bring them (laughs) your food, and then when the cat shows up, you're like, oh yeah, I led him here on purpose, and suddenly you're all best friends. Like, I don't... I couldn't understand if he was purposely being nice to oliver or if it was kind of like oh well he he found his way here i guess i'll be nice to him now right that's where i think i i understand it to be uh so my understanding uh dodger meets oliver he wants to trick oliver because oliver's not in the gang anybody who's not in the gang is unimportant they're just people that you can use to get stuff from and so he's going to do that to Oliver, tricking him into distracting the guy selling hot dogs so he can take the hot dogs. Uh, then Oliver finds him and he's like, well, t- shit out of luck, bro. You're not in my gang. This food ain't yours. Uh, and he just wanted to cause a catastrophe. Gross. Um, <laughs> hey, it's his line. So. Yes, I know. Uh, but this is food for the gang now. And so he gives Oliver a challenge. Well, yeah, you can have it if you catch me, but you never will because I know this street better than you could possibly. 
and then he gets home, gives food to his friends, takes a lot of pride in being able to procure food for these guys, uh, and Oliver shows up, which I think that is the point Dodger gets on his side. It's like, wow, that kid actually found me. All right, maybe there's something to this kid. Although, to be fair, it's not like he was really sneaking very well. He was well, singing he was... a song and got half the dogs in the city to follow him around. So. Correct. <laughs> but he was hiding in a horde of dogs after, like, jumping from car to car, after flying up uh, with a piano as it's being uh, going up the side of a building, which is, I'm not sure, has ever been done in real life. It's kind of a thing that you see in all kinds of animated movies, though. Right. Somebody has to lift a piano up to an apartment window for some reason. So. Yeah. I think it came from, like, the Charlie Chaplin days. Like, I can definitely see in silent films they'd want a piano going up the air and crashing to the ground. I feel like that would make more sense when there's a sound to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems more of like a slapstick. Yeah, thing, yeah I know I what guess. you meant. But when Oliver turns against the gang, I think is where I had the emotional connection with Dodger that I was missing for maybe the rest of the film. Because Dodger doesn't seem to care about anything. Uh, and Oliver turning against him, like, he gets kind of upset. He goes away. And I felt really bad for him in that moment. I, I guess I felt for Dodger more than Oliver in that case. And so, I again, I don't know who to root for. Because I thought at first it was Oliver. Then I'm rooting for Dodger. And then it flips to Jenny later in the film. And you're, then you're kind of rooting for Fagin because you don't want yeah. him to get killed for not turning in all the money. So it just keeps flip-flopping. I don't know where my emotions should go. Well, what's interesting to me is when they Oliver chases them back to their hideout here, Fagin shows up and wants to see what kind of goodies the dogs brought him. Yeah. And, okay, so in the musical and the book, it's a gang of street kids, right? So that kind of makes sense because you could try to teach them to go pickpocket people. What kind, How are you going to train dogs to bring you back money and stuff that's relevant to... I have that. no idea. <laughs> so... Like, this man's plan is flawed from the beginning because he owes money to a criminal and he is relying on a pack of dogs to go get him money. And I don't know what he did because we follow the dogs' adventure. So what was he doing in the meantime oh, to make money? I don't think he does anything. Ex and and so and to that point, in their next the next day, I don't even know what their thing, what their plan was. Again, it was no to hotwire the car or something. But no. were they stealing the car or were they using it to get money somehow? So, I rewatched that today. I think I've got an understanding of their plan. But this is like a lot of Dodger's plans. We see him giving people orders as to where they're supposed to go, and then almost nothing works as he expects it to. Uh, but Dodger's plan, as I understand it, is they see a limo. They decide, okay... That limo probably has something nice we can uh, we can take from the car and uh, fence later, getting some money for Fagin. So, plan as I understand it. One dog runs his head into the car, making the driver stop. The driver gets out. Another dog is there down on the ground, acting as if he's injured, keeping the driver occupied. A third dog gets into the car and starts clipping wires to remove the radio. I think that's what they were doing. Because he got 
one wire away and Oliver accidentally stepped on the ignition, which sent electricity into the system and shocked the guy working on it. So, I don't know what Dodger or the Lady Dog are doing in this entire situation, because they don't seem to be a part of it. And, I mean, unless they're just more lookouts or something, but... um, But I thought Oliver was the lookout. Yeah. And... So, uh, to me, this was like the over-the-hedge scene. Oh, I hate over-the-hedge. Oh. It's a bad film. But, you know, Sorry, you remember what I'm talking about, because the possum yes. goes out there and pretends that he got hit by a car, and I think in the meantime they're stealing food from the back of the van or something. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Right. So, this one, you can't was... tell what their plan is. They're in yeah. there messing around with wires in the car, but Why? Unless, unless we are under the absu- the assumption that these dogs can pickpocket. And maybe, maybe, the plan was if they got the radio, the rest of the dogs were going to pickpocket this butler slash chauffeur and take his money. Well, maybe. Uh, or maybe we're under the assumption that they know how to drive the car and Tito can hotwire it and then they're going to hawk the whole car for money. <laughs> but then you've got kidnapping because there's a girl in the backseat. So. I mean... Yeah, maybe, but like while uh, while rich people take limos from place to place, I don't necessarily think of a, a limo as an expensive car. Yeah. So I don't know. It seems like they were after the the person more than the car. Uh, this plan is very flawed, is what I'm saying. <laughs> These dogs did not think through this plan. Well, I mean, they're dogs, so yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll give them. A bit of leeway here, I guess. I mean, if Fagan actually helped them do something, maybe they could have had a better plan. Right. So later in the film, we do see Fagan at a pawn shop trying to pawn off the items that the dogs have brought him. I think this is the way he's getting money. Uh, Is the dogs find, I don't know, shiny objects or little trinkets, and he fences them or sells them to a pawn shop to get some money. But, like, you're never going to get an enormous amount of money. And he tries, uh, right, he tries to give Sykes his briefcase full of what the dogs brought back. And Sykes correctly identifies that this is a bunch of junk and it's not (laughs) worth anything. What are you doing? And then he throws it out the car window into the river or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So we mentioned, we mentioned Tito. He's the one that does the hot wiring. Apparently he knows electronics because yep, he's a chihuahua. He is the, he is the electronics expert. Uh, he was played by Cheech Marin. I questioned whether or not this character was racist, <laughs> given that uh, Cheech Marin has a Mexican accent, and they're sending him to hotwire cars and steal the radio. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, it's not the only somewhat racist caricature in this film. The, uh, the hot dog guy was a fairly thick accent, and like you could tell... They were really going for a stereotype with that guy. So I will give it, uh, I, I hate to say I'll give it a pass, but it's not as bad as it could be. And it's something that has no place in today's film. But uh, I, I guess I'll let this go for this film. Uh, I And of course, again, watching that as a child, you would never pick up on that. You just think, yeah. hey, that's a funny character with a voice that gets right. electrocuted, and it's funny because it's a dog. 
Let's go to the other three dogs in the gang as we are working on it because they're not, they're given some personality traits, but not a lot of character development. They're just kind of there along for the ride a lot of the time. I don't even remember the girl dog's name, although I think, oh, well, I don't I know that I would say he's my favorite, but Francis is the next one that I keep thinking of. Francis is pretty good. So we've got Einstein, who's the Great Dane, who <laughs> threw his head into a car. Yeah. Uh, we've got Francis. Uh, who is a bulldog with a British accent. Uh, and we've got Rita, who is an Afghan Afghan hound, uh, the only female in the gang. Which, again, there was there were the female characters in the Oliver musical, but so what's weird to me is they have Oliver and Dodger and Fagan and Sykes, who are all the character names match up with the musical and the book. But then when you give the female characters into the show, they do not have names that are the same as the ones in the musical. So why not make them the same? <laughs> like... because, because I think in all these properties, including this film, those male characters are essentially playing the same roles. Yeah. Whereas these female characters, I think maybe amalgamations of the female characters from those properties but not like a true allegory for any specific one and so by changing the name you take away the direct parallel that people would try to make so instead of people complaining well you had this named character why didn't they act like that this named character acts in the, the musical or in the book by changing the name you establish well it's not exactly the same character so I will say, um, Georgette is pretty good in that she gets some character development. I would say Rita, the, the Afghan hound, even though she gets a song, like there is no development on her she character. She is a pointless character. I, I thought she would be like a potential love interest for Dodger. Yeah. But nope, they don't explore that in the slightest. She's very much just there some of the time. Um. Well, and this... Uh... Einstein and Francis are kind of the same. Uh, I mean, they get more lines, I think, than Rita mm -hmm. does, although I don't think they have a song. But they, they do not have a song. I would say I understand the character of uh, Francis more. I guess Einstein is a very good parallel. I understand him to be a dumb dog, and that's it. And that's why they give him the name Einstein, because it's ironic and it's funny. But Francis is kind of like... He's supposed to be, he's trying to, or what he's trying to be, or he thinks he is, like, this sophisticated, high-level actor or something. And that's why he's the one that pretends to get hit by the car, and he plays dead and all this, but... Right. He, so, I've seen this character come up a lot. It works fairly well, where a guy who's not incredibly wealthy uh, pretends that as an actor, he can certainly portray the wealthy, and he watches things like uh, Shakespeare on television, uh, and so he understands the upper class. He could be a part of the upper class if just given the chance, uh, because he knows how to how to work and how to speak in that society. He knows how to act the part. As right. <laughs> and then as soon as somebody upsets him by saying his name wrong, he drops the act and really gets on their case. So I, I like the character. I think this uh, side character is fairly well fleshed out as opposed to the other two. Uh, I will say I did look it up. This part was originally offered to uh, Patrick Stewart 
who couldn't mm. accept it because he was playing uh, Jean-Luc Picard on Star Trek. Uh, I don't know if I would have liked him doing that. <laughs> oh, really? I get, well, I don't know. I feel like he he is that higher level actor, right, exactly. so it would be he hard for him to make trained, fun of it, maybe. Classically trained Shakespeare actor. Yeah, so it'd be weird for him to be kind of doing a part that's making fun of that. Yeah, no, I think the the choice they got hit it perfectly. Um, which let me look up his name. Not that the other thing. Um, he is played by that guy. Correct. Roscoe Lee Brown. Uh, you know what? That name sounds familiar, but I have no idea who it is. You know, looking at his picture, he seems very familiar. <laughs> Though I cannot place where he would be from. So I'm sure that helps the listeners a lot for I us. I know. He was in Logan's Run as a box. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, I will I think say, he, surprisingly enough, I did just watch that movie a couple of weeks ago. So. Is, is there a talking box? Because um, it says he provided a voice. I do not remember. Okay, we'll look that up after the fact. All right, so um, we're working our way through characters. We've gotten the gang, we've got Oliver. We already covered Fagin, so let's see. Why don't we go to Jenny and her butler? We haven't talked about uh, them yet. So, is it the first time we meet Jenny when she's reading a letter from her parents? Correct. And this is, she's, so, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. She's still trying to learn how to read, but she looks like she's old enough that she should know how by now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's trying, she's trying to sound out the words in this letter from her parents and then realizes that they're not going to be coming home for her birthday. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our introduction to her. Yeah, it's really sad. And I don't know, do, do they ever explain where the parents were or? Uh, they were at, I think, a conference. So I it's not, not that they were on vacation, the they were there for work. They're, they're there for work, I assume. Uh, but it does say in the letter that they decided to stay an extra day. Yeah. And that's what was going to make them miss their daughter's birthday. It's it, like the parents just seem like the worst. Well, and we never even meet them in this movie. So that's interesting. So the butler guy seems nice, but I think mostly he's just left there in charge because the parents are gone. I mean, as a butler, you would be kind of in charge of the household anyway while the parents are gone but it's yeah so he's doubling the role as butler and chauffeur and caretaker but then while the parents when are away. she takes in oliver i mean she gets a collar for him and a name tag and all this so it must be the butler that's going around getting these things with her oh yeah he is there to wait on this child and give the child what she wants in the parent's absence so Absence? where is he getting yeah, the money for these things? Uh, I imagine he has an account. There's usually an account for the house where he can go and buy food or what have you. Well, that shows how much I know about buttling. I, I, I'm taking a <laughs> guess. I assume there is some, some money he has access to to take care of these incidental costs. He probably also gets paid fairly well buttling for this expensive, or expensive, this uh, very high-class family. Though I want a question. She buys a collar, a colliver. She buys a collar for Oliver that says Oliver. How does she know this cat's name? 
I think she made she gave him a name. Was he not called Oliver before? Um, I don't know. Was he? I don't know. I thought he Did was. Did he ever tell his name to any of the dogs? I don't I don't remember this. <gasps> yeah, maybe they just called him Kid. I don't I it's so strange to me. Well, I mean, it was I pretty quick he before, had a before he went over to her. So this was and and while we're talking about her and her house, it brings up one of the other goofs that I actually saw in the first place, but I saw it pointed out on IMDb as well, Ooh. where the house number changes. Oh, does it? From one scene to the next. <laughs> so, like, it will zoom in, so you assume that you're going into the house where he is, and it has a house number on the front, but then later when they walk out the front door, I think when the dogs are rescuing him, it's a different number on the front oh. of the house. Oh, that's pretty great. The thing that I noticed is uh, at the end of Georgette's song, where she's talking about, like, putting her face on and being perfect, there's a moment where it zooms away, and she's walking down a spiral staircase. In the middle of the staircase is this enormous chandelier. Yeah. Like, the chandelier looks like it is two stories high. And that never comes up again. And, like, you should see it from the staircase at the bottom, but they never animate it again. Well, and that was another thing that someone pointed out as well, that... During her song, the birds open up the curtain to let the lights in while she's singing and do this. But then at the end of the song, she bursts out the windows to the porch to sing to all the dogs on the street. But the curtains are closed when she when she opens the window. Poor so, animation. So, uh, yeah, I guess either there's different animators working on those parts of the scenes Probably. or they just didn't care about continuity. The other thing I want to bring about uh, bring up about Jenny is that a lot of times we see Jenny and Oliver playing out in New York on their own, where she yeah. seems like, huh, what would you say, seven, eight, maybe? Like, definitely younger than ten, but, say, older than, uh, say, five. Somewhere between there, for sure. She should not be walking alone in the streets of New York, no matter how wealthy she is. Uh. Her butler... Her butler likes her take a boat out on the lake where it's just her and this cat. And later, she is, a, she is able to get out of the house at night, wander down to the docks with her piggy bank so she can go pay her kitty's ransom. It's the 80s. New York was better then, maybe? <laughs> Somebody should be watching this child. It must not have been the same New York that happened in the Ninja Turtles in the 80s. Right, the Foot Clan are not out and about stealing children. Just <laughs> Sykes is. Yes, so I, you know, and I thought the same thing that it was. I wouldn't have thought of it as a kid necessarily, but when when Fagin's holding this cat for ransom, and then a little girl shows up. First of all, it it shocks him because he's expecting some rich guy with money. How does she get to the docks by herself? And how I, does she, I assume she walked there. Uh. Or maybe she took a limousine. Yeah, so, like, that's one of my biggest uh, umbrages with the film, is this kid doesn't have a caretaker? Like, nobody's checking in on this child? Apparently. <laughs> and for a film where this high-class society is supposed to be the antithesis of the low-class society, where people can do whatever they want, she seems to be able to do whatever she wants. And so it doesn't necessarily 
present two polar opposite societies that Oliver has to choose between. What and and it's funny to me. She gets the the letter from her parents as she's trying to sound out the words and learn how to read through this letter. She gets a, par- a letter from Fagin, and I can't read this because when they show you the letter, his handwriting is terrible, but he also can't spell any of the words. So, Yeah, so we've run through characters. Let's talk about plot overall. Because uh... I mentioned... I don't know who to side with, uh, especially when Oliver... Oh, another thing I have a problem with is time, because there's a, there's a ticking clock presented at the beginning of the film that Fagin has three days to live uh, and before he has to get money. It seems like Oliver is spending a lot of time with Jenny, way more than three days, and yet when he comes back, Fagin has not yet run out of his timeline. He still has time to come up with this ransom plan and go to Sykes and say, hey, I got this plan. You'll get your money. Trust me, I've got you. I feel like that must have been on the third day because Fagin was or uh, Sykes was expecting the money when he showed right. up. I, I don't know how I guess. Yeah, it's hard to tell the passing of time. But I would assume, so the, the next day would be day one, and that's the day they tried to steal the car and Jenny meets Oliver. Uh, I assume that's the same day that Oliver shows up at the house and Georgette decides to hate him. And once the dogs realize he's gone, they go back to rescue him. Either that's that same day or it's the next day, it seems like. But somehow she still has time to go get a collar and a name tag for Oliver. Right. So. And there's the there's the montage of her playing piano with Oliver. There's they're out in the park on the boat. They're running around the park together. Like that could all be one day, and maybe that's day two. But it seems like they they formed a really tight connection, uh, which takes time to do. Well, I don't know. A kid and a cat. A kid, who, yeah, especially maybe. a kid whose parents have decided not to show up for her birthday. <laughs> We're getting close to the end of this film. And this was a problem for me in the film because I knew I wasn't going to have a lot to talk about. Because not a lot engrossed me in the film. I didn't get tied into any characters, really, plot development. Uh, the main character, his story is really muddied. So I was emotionally invested. In the beginning, Oliver's in a box, kind of invested, where Dodger gets him back and is rebuffed. Uh, the third time I was invested is when Jenny gets kidnapped. Because now I know who to care about. I know Jenny needs to be saved. I know that the dogs are going to work towards that. That's the goal. So for a lot of this film, it you don't really get an idea of what the goal is, what the the major motivation for these characters. If you are presented one, it's one that keeps shifting as the film goes on. And yeah, I I was, while I was doing the 60 second synopsis and trying to figure out games, that's kind of, I felt like the whole movie is just trying to rescue somebody, but it's a different person yeah. you're rescuing. Because at one point they had to rescue Oliver and then they find out that they didn't need to. So then they rescue somebody else. And I think... Uh, yeah, like you, up until Jen, when Jenny gets kidnapped, you're like, okay, well, obviously we need to save her because it's this little girl who gets kidnapped by the criminal boss guy. So you know that they're going to go try to save her. And I think up until I think that rescuing her and the chase scene at the end was probably the most exciting part of the whole movie. 
Absolutely. Which, obviously, when you're telling a story, you want the climax to be close to the end of the story, so that kind of makes sense. But when you have, one of, again, these big Disney musicals, you expect to be able to follow along with the story well and have music that you enjoy and get into the story. So I know this would go away from the, the plot of Oliver the Musical and the Dickens novel, but the way this would have worked way better for me is if... Oliver and Jenny meet at the beginning of the film. So you get Jenny's character established, you get Oliver's character established, they have a meet-cute or whatever, and they get along, but they get separated in some way. Some way where they don't know how to find each other. Then he falls into the gang uh, and gets accepted there, learning this way of life, and then returns to Jenny so that to me would present more conflict as opposed to him getting these friends first, then going to this rich lifestyle, having the having Jenny at the beginning tells me, well, he should definitely be with Jenny. That's his true love. He should be with his family. Uh, and then you get more of a conflict between the two groups. So I guess, yeah, that's where I got lost because it seems like his initial contact always seems like the best one. That's with this thieving gang, and he, that's not the family he ends up with. I mean, I know what you're saying, but now he basically has two families instead of no I know. families. I know. Um, they they make it work here. It, they, I think they they don't do that in the musical or the book, but yes, at the end of the film, he's living with Jenny. He's keeping in touch with Dodger and the rest of the dogs. It seems to me that if the family's that rich, they could just take in all the homeless dogs. But, well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the parents are coming home to a new cat. I don't think they want to come home to six more dogs. Well, hey, you know, they weren't there for the birthday. The least they could do is buy her a cat as a present <laughs> or something. So it, I, um, um, at the beginning, you see that there's a box full of kittens that are for sale. Eventually, it's free because they haven't, because there's still one or two of them left, and they're just going to give them away for free. And Oliver is still left there. After it rains and the box falls apart, he's wandering the streets and meets a bunch of people. And to your point, there's that one kid that kind of wanted to pet him and wanted to play with him, and then the mom pulled the kid away. If that had been Jenny instead of exactly. some random kid, I mean, it wouldn't have been a long connection or a big thing, but at least you would see that this other character exists and they had some kind of meeting previously. Yeah, so that the second time they meet, they remember each other, it seems meant to be, that connection gets established a lot quicker. So that's Another thing I want to, to mention about that box at the beginning is it says $5 kittens. There's nobody there to collect that money. Yeah, I was Are they giving the money this. to the cats? <laughs> this is a really poor market strategy. Uh, and then they're just in a box with a bunch of newspapers. Yeah, so let's, let's move on to the end of the film. This is where it brought me back. I was more invested. Jenny has been kidnapped. Sykes is calling the butler to set up some sort of ransom for her. And the dogs and Oliver together have to hatch a plan to go get her out safely. I liked these plans because it felt like they were finally coming together. As a kid, I would love this because they use a contraption to break in uh, to the facility and then like use another disguise to pretend to be a pizza person to bring <laughs> Sykes out of his office. 
Like yeah. these things, they're they're really dumb contraptions as an adult, but as a kid, I would I would go crazy and for I, them. Again, this is one of these weird plans that the dogs. I, maybe the dogs didn't come up with this one because Fagin was actually with them now. But how would the dogs know to dress up as a pizza guy? I don't know. They seem. They're wise beyond their speech. But, and all it does, I mean, it draws Fagin and his dogs out of the office area so that Oliver can sneak in by himself. It, it seems like you would send in more than just one person to try to untie this hostage and rescue her. For sure. Because the way that they end up getting her out is, luckily, Sykes works and basically lives in this loading dock. And so there's a giant hook on, to, on the ceiling that can just come and pick her up and let her escape. Though the, the part here I like is the, the bad dogs, the two Dobermans, are chasing down the group. Uh, and to get rid of these Dobermans... They throw a tarp over top of them, and these dogs cannot find their way out of a tarp. That essentially takes them out for a couple of minutes until Sykes comes and releases them. Well, that's not quite as bad as what happens to them in a few minutes. Well, that's true. Uh, but I liked this escape. I thought it was well done. I liked uh, the redemption of Fagin, where he comes in at a little moped uh, and tries to escape. I really liked this chase scene because there are parts where Fagin thinks he's going to get away by taking his little scooter uh, down into the subway. And Sykes is relentless and drives his car down into the subway and like hops on the tracks. And it's not how wheels work, but his <laughs> yeah. wheels, the rubber gets off of his wheels and he's driving his car on the train tracks. Which, I don't think cars are necessarily the right width for train tracks either, but... No, no, they're certainly but not. But it works for they... a kid's movie chase scene, and... It, I thought that was really well done. Well, and again, with this chase scene, what, what you have is the car is chasing this little scooter full of the dogs and Oliver and a girl and Fagin, and in the background is all kinds of music, like loud, crashy noise music, and then you've got the car noises and the train noises coming and all this. And at the end, what happens is they're on the Brooklyn Bridge, and somehow the scooter hops off of the train tracks and rides up the cable system, while the car is still on the train tracks and gets hit by the oncoming train, which... Uh, the Brooklyn Bridge doesn't have train tracks on it, first of all. Ah. But that what is happening, you've got all you've got the loud music, you've got train honking its horn, you've got car noises, engines, people yelling and trying to save each other, and then suddenly it's like dead silence. So there is that big impact just from the sounds going on. I don't know that it has necessarily the huge impact that it should because of everything else that we've talked about where you kind of lose the plot and don't know who you're caring for until the very end. But you can tell that that was intentional, that there's all this noise and then suddenly nothing is supposed to be like the big what happened kind of thing at the end. Yeah, so <laughs> the part I take umbrage with here is previously established Fagin is not terribly coordinated uh he's he uh when he's on the bridge or on the dock with Sykes in the beginning like he's trying he's almost falling over almost falling over uh and eventually falls into the water and yet here he's able to thread the needle to drive a scooter <laughs> up a bridge support to get away from an oncoming train well 
but Fagan wasn't driving at this point. Now it was oh, Tito. Oh, that's right. Our <laughs> dog was driving. Good point, Mark. That makes more sense. I remove my objection. Yes, because Tito is obviously a better driver than Fagan was. Though the, the other thing that they do here, which, you know, emotionally, emotionally, nope, that's not the word, <laughs> emotionally attached me to this film is, at this point in the film, we know we want Jenny to be safe. Jenny gets back on the scooter, but Oliver and Dodger don't. They jump off at the last moment. We hear the crash sound, and there's a moment, a pause, where somebody who hasn't seen this film before, or a little kid, let's say, would think Dodger and Oliver could be dead. I don't know if they are. I'm worried about them, but it's very likely. Uh, and so there's that, there's that pit in your stomach that's like, oh my god, did they make it out alive? And Dodger comes out, and he seems fine. But then there's Oliver lying on the ground unconscious, and Jenny runs to him and tries to, uh, tries to pet him to make sure that he's okay. Like, that's a very touching moment to me, that this little girl is worried about this cat that she loves that just saved her life and that is unconscious, possibly dead. Like, I felt an emotional connection to that, and really, I, I was ecstatic when Oliver opened his eyes. I expected it, but I wasn't sure. Uh, so we never talked about this. Had you, you had seen this movie before? I think so. It's <laughs> been a while. I, I had the context clues that this is a Disney kids film, yeah. so likely they won't be killing animals you care about. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time they killed off a lead character at the end to kind of give you that oh thing, but <laughs> but yeah, it yeah. So it again, and with that, the whole audio cues as well, where it's really loud and then suddenly really quiet, and then you see that the cat could possibly be dead. It's like oh no. So I would say overall, which will definitely show up in my reviews. I liked the beginning of this movie. I liked the end of this movie, and I got lost in the middle of this movie. Yeah. Anywho. I guess I could agree with that. Uh, so I am out of notes, it seems like. Uh, so if you don't have anything else, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game where we take one, two, or three properties, mush them together in the form It's This Meets This to describe this movie. So I am going to start us off telling you guys what Oliver and Company is in terms of other things. So let me just pull up my notes here. All right. So since this is... A musical where a young redhead orphan is adopted by a rich family and also features kidnapping and a ransom play to pay off debts. Uh, and a movie featuring cartoon dogs where a stray mongrel falls for a proper pooch from a wealthy family. Also featuring a glorification of a streetwise bohemian lifestyle. This is Annie meets Lady and the Tramp. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. Oh, yeah? Because I had neither of those. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I was worried you were going to steal mine, so <laughs> let's try. Yeah. You know, looking up this film, 
a lot of movies have to do with kidnapping. Right. I I had something that sounded very similar that I thought you were going to steal, and then you didn't. So I think you um, might steal my next one, but go ahead. Okay. I had to remember which, because I have a whole list, but I didn't write down which ones go together. So... A movie about a red-haired orphan taken in by a small group of street urchins who devise a plan to use the orphan for monetary gain. Eventually, the orphan finds a home with a wealthy family and forgives the street urchins, and they all remain friends and live happily ever after. And an animated film about an unlikely band of homeless friends who form a family and must cooperate to find a home in paradise... It is Anastasia meets the land before time. <laughs> uh, going back in the retrograding <laughs> canon. All right. Uh, my second one. <clears throat> Since this is an animated kids film featuring talking animals, gambling debts, and a character voiced by Dom DeLuise, also featuring orphans and a young girl getting kidnapped... And a property where a kid from the streets goes to live with a rich family is at odds with a primpy female already living there, also where his street friends come to visit but sometimes get kicked out. This is All Dogs Go to Heaven meets The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did not have that one on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I So, so two, before I say my second one, I had thought of Lady and the Tramp as well as All Dogs Go to Heaven, but it has been so long since I had seen either of those that I wasn't sure I could articulate how they fit in. So, uh, so I'm glad you had both of those because they were, they were in the back of my mind, but I didn't write them down. So before we get too far away from that, I do want to mention there are cameos here of three characters from Lady and the Tramp in all of that's also true. I did see that. So uh, also and, Pongo. Yes, <laughs> that was the other one. Uh huh. All right. All right. Ahead. So for my second one. Because it's a cat with orange fur befriending a dog, going on harrowing adventures after being uh-huh. swept away by flowing water and eventually finding his true home and family. And a movie where a young girl is kidnapped and held for ransom until some animal friends come to the rescue. I have The Adventures of Milo and Otis meets the Rescuers. Okay, I couldn't figure out the second one. I had the first one down. All right. Uh, My final one. Since this is a cartoon musical kids film starring a young cat learning the ways of surviving outside of established society, also starring Cheech Marin in a side role, and a property where a group of people from the underclass plan elaborate heists featuring hot wiring vehicles, terrible acting distractions, (laughs) and characters jumping from car to car, all in the name of preserving Uh. the well-being of their family. This is (laughs) The Lion King meets The Fast and the Furious. Yep. (laughs) I knew where you were going with the second one pretty quick. (laughs) Oh, I just, I love those films. Uh, you know, and it's funny because it to me it doesn't seem like the genre that you would really like that much. But I know there's just something about a dumb action film where it's just all about the stunts that really, really gets me. Anywho, 
Let's move on to our second game, which is alternate taglines, a phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film uh, that should encapsulate the theme of the movie, though hopefully with ours missing the point. To start us off, the actual tagline for this film, I could only find one of them, it is the first Disney movie with attitude, which, fine, <laughs> let's see if we can do better. <laughs> Well, mine will not be better, I'll tell you that. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, so I told Mark, well, some of these are going to be cop-outs, uh, because, quick turnaround, it's hard to write games that are good. Uh, and so, <laughs> my first cop-out uh, is Oliver and Company, from Orphaned Kitty to Aristocat. That one's actually pretty good. <laughs> yes, but it takes it takes direct pun from another movie of this time. Well, yes, but still. So mine, I had thought about, since I had been thinking about this movie since summertime when I realized I missed the 30th anniversary of another movie, this was the first one I came up with because I remembered not liking this movie very much. So it's Oliver and Company. Why should I worry? Why should I care about this film? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> my, I have to leave it to third, but you, you encapsulated part of mine. I'm definitely um, not going to sing it for you, but... Oh, I'm not. Uh, let's see. So the other one that was a bit of a cop-out, because I like using it whenever it comes up and fits in a film, is simply Oliver and Company. Two worlds, one family. Uh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> another movie that I did not enjoy. <laughs> uh-huh. Another musical you didn't enjoy. Yeah, surprise. Well, that, speaking of musicals, my second tagline, Oliver and Company. It's like Broadway, but in New York. Uh, <laughs> uh, was that a line? I can't figure out. It's not a line, but it's okay. supposed to be funny because Broadway is in New York. I I got it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I it's such yeah, a good joke like that it. I have to explain it to you. No, I knew where Broadway was, Mark. <laughs> so, um, should we should we uh, give them Sarah's notes as before we, or should we wait till TV Guide is done? Oh, interesting. Now, did she do... You, you have no more notes than I have, correct? I have one more TV... One TV guide. That's all I have. I just ha just realized we never really gave her notes, but there's not a lot to them. We can do that in reviews. Let's finish up games first. So, my final tagline, which is... We don't plan this, but it's very similar to the one you did, <laughs> is Oliver and Company. A movie that will leave you saying... Why should I care? Yep. <laughs> so, so similar, but not yep. exactly right. Right. Uh, all right, so let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would find in a TV Guide or Netflix description that is technically correct but possibly misses the point. So I'm going to start us off yet again. Surprise. Mm. <laughs> uh, so... This movie is a compulsive gambler relies solely on his friends to settle his debts for him. And when they can't, he comes up with a ransom plan to raise funds. When this plan falls through, he takes actions that free him from his debt by causing the untimely death of his original creditor. I guess that's true. 
Yeah. He never really had to pay off his debts, did he? Nope. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you just kill the guy in the first place? Then you don't have to worry about it. Because because it's murder, Mark. <laughs> um. So as Carl mentioned earlier, this was kind of a quick turnaround episode for us. So the games suffer a little bit, and I only have one TV guide. Although I think it may be one of the better ones that I have come Ooh. up with out of the games this week. Fantastic. And if it's not the better one, then I'm sorry. But for the TV guide, I have, after her parents leave her home alone on her birthday, a young girl finds a new family. Aww. Uh, mine is also about the, uh, the little girl. My next one here. A little girl finds out the hard way just how dangerous the streets of New York can be when she is allowed to wander the docks alone at night, ends up getting captured, and her caretaker fails to take her kidnapper seriously. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go on to our reviews. So, we did ask Sarah to bring us some notes or some games that we would possibly sprinkle in throughout the film. We thought this was the right moment to reveal what those notes were, given that there were so few of them. <laughs> uh, so, Mark, do you want to just read off the notes that Sarah gave well, us? Well, Sarah's notes are... Fun animation. Dogs are good. Cats are good. Billy Joel is good. Uh, Why Should I Worry is 10 out of 10 song. <laughs> and I Can't Think of Potatoes Waiting for Cues. So that thus ends Sarah's contribution <laughs> to this podcast. So, well, I, again, like I said a long time ago, I was hoping she would be around for this episode particularly because I knew that I didn't like this movie a whole lot, yeah. and I knew that she really did enjoy it, so I thought we would have some controversy in this episode. But since she's not around, we'll just have to say Sarah likes this movie, I think. Yes. And that's... Uh, she she often quotes the line that the uh, the Chihuahua has, where he gives his full name. And it's a, it's a long, drawn-out name. He's got, like, six names in his entirety. Yeah, I don't remember But he just goes by were. Tito. I don't either. Sarah knows it, and apparently she loves it. Anywho, let's go on to our reviews, starting, of course, with our potatoes. So, Mark, why don't you start us <laughs> off? Uh, Great. I will are... start us off because Carl has not done them yet. <laughs> yeah, Carl never prepares, prepares potatoes, except for eating. So, I had not, uh, also not prepared for this, but while we were talking, I was looking over the list. Um, I I remember as a kid liking this movie. Then I remember watching it again at some point and not liking it very much. And then I watched it this time. And as we have discussed, you kind of lose the plot in the middle and don't really know what's going on. But I think as an adult now, I appreciate some things more for the overall thing rather than just what's happening in the movie. So for instance, the animation work that was done and how they got the dogs and cats to move like real dogs and cats because of all the studying that they did. And you know, when it's hand animation, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So this was in production for probably a few years before it got released. So they do go through a lot of work in these movies and while the movie or while the music in the movie is pretty dated now, I think in its time it was good music for this film. 
Um, and they got some very high, good A level actors <laughs> to do the voices for it. So I think um, <laughs> I was expecting not to enjoy the movie. And while I don't think it's as good as some other ones we've watched, I liked it a little bit more than I thought I would, actually. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't as good as it could have been because it's a Disney movie and you expect those to be really good. So I kind of had mashed two of these together, no pun intended. Oh, that was definitely <laughs> intended. So I had boxed sweet potatoes. Okay, yep. But they also had some of those adult... I, and this did not come into the movie very much, so I'm not including this rating. But <laughs> they had some of the troubling issues with the parents not showing up for her birthday, which they don't really focus on in the movie, yeah. so I'm not really including it in my rating, but you could call it a black potato because of some of those issues. Yeah, so I'm gonna go right with you on that. Uh, I definitely think box potatoes for the amount of people that I know who uh, look back on this movie fondly, uh, it's not as good as I would expect it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a box potatoes. The other one I wanted to give it was uh, something that only kind of qualifies because we have frites on our list, uh, which... I guess Sarah meant for foreign films, but for me, I'm going to use it as it kind of gets lost in translation. Uh, the story they're trying to tell gets really muddled uh, in the middle of the film, and I get lost watching it. I don't know where my emotions are supposed to go, uh, and so I can't tell if they're doing a good job getting, to, getting me to where they want my emotions, if that makes sense. Because, like, in a film where it's trying to make me cry, it could be really good at making me cry, or it could do a poor job at it. I don't know what this film is trying to get me to do, and so I can't judge how good it is at doing it. Because I, I get totally lost. Listening to your explanation, it almost sounds like you would want to give it the potato skins rating, because you liked parts of it, but not other parts. So, you, so are the potato skins is not enough because it has its moments, but ultimately disappointing. So we'll just give it, like, like eight different potato names for no, this no, movie. No, no, I think... <laughs> yeah, so I think potato skins could definitely fit. Uh, but the thing of it is, there weren't, like, bad moments. The, the, few, the good moments weren't few and far between. It was just, like, I don't know what story they're going for. So... I think that does work. It definitely fits this film. I'm going to include it in the review, but I'm going to go with sweet potatoes, frites, and potato skins. Nice. No, box potatoes. That's the one. Anywho, let's move on to our second review scale, which is a rewatchability scale from 0 to 10, telling our listeners should they go back and watch this film. So, Mark, do you want to start us off here again? So, uh, this is difficult because and I well I guess I don't even really have nostalgia for this movie even though I remembered that I thought I liked it as a kid it wasn't one of those that like stuck in my mind as oh that was such a good movie I wish I watched it more often but having said that I wanted to give it a higher rating that I gave Labyrinth but I think Labyrinth I would actually go back and watch more often than this one and Labyrinth, I gave a pretty low score on the number scale. So <laughs> I'm, it's hard for me to give this one a number. Um, I, 
if you like Billy Joel, if you like Disney movies and have not watched this, it may be worth a watch just to see it and determine for yourself if you like it, because we both have friends who remember liking this a lot growing up, and if you have kids, they will definitely enjoy it because it's dogs and cats and it's animated and it has music, so kids will like it. If you're just going back to watch a movie as an adult, just to see if you might like some kid movie, because apparently some adults do that, maybe, possibly me, um, <laughs> then I, I don't know that this one would work for you if that's what you're going for. So I think I will eh, probably about in that same middle range, maybe a four and a half. Yep, yep. So, oddly enough, I've been trying to calculate where I put this film. I, I know that um, it's not going to rank very high for me. I enjoyed parts of it, but I'm not going to go back and watch this film. Overall, the, after the first watch, which is all I recommend our viewers do, even if you go back and watch it, <laughs> uh, I kind of felt it's, it's very lackluster. Uh, you can tell that it's very high energy, but when it's over, it's over, and you don't think about it again. Mm -hmm. The one song I will remember from this film is the Why Should I Worry, Why Should I Care? Uh, the other songs, I've already forgotten their titles. Yep. <laughs> I could not sing you their melodies. Uh, and it the tagline encapsulated it, because it, it does feel like I... I lost the emotional state of the film. I don't know who I'm supposed to care about. Uh, I guess things work out, and I don't know what's best for Oliver at any given point during the film, but he seems happy at the end, and that's pretty all right. Uh, and so I was going through the old reviews to see where I would rank it uh, in reference to the scores I've already given. I know that Warriors of Virtue has gotten a three. <laughs> This film is better than Warriors of Virtue. The other low score I gave was for Ants. This film is better than Ants. Uh, but five is my cutoff for middle-of-the-road movie, and I think this is just lower than a middle-of-the-road. Yep. <laughs> and so a 4.5 is exactly where I got just before you announced your review. <laughs> so we are both going to be giving this a 4.5. Uh, for a rewatch, that Sarah will scale. come along after the fact and give it a fifteen. Oh, so. yeah, exactly. She's got to balance the scales <laughs> somehow. Uh, yeah, I yeah. She did not give us a potato scale uh, or a number scale, so we're not sure for hers. But I do know that she talks about it a lot. How she likes this movie whenever I say something that I don't like about it. So I'm sure her her numbers would be higher than ours. But since she's not here to defend herself, we're going to give this a four and a half. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think Sarah likes um, things that set an atmosphere far better than I do. I like a driving narrative. And I feel like a lot of the songs in this are setting the atmosphere for this approximation of New York. The New York that these dogs are living in. Uh, and so maybe that's what she gets attached to. There was just not enough of a story here to keep me interested. That and Anywho. for me, and it's kind of the same for me. I can get into a movie even if it doesn't. I, I go for the story. Sometimes if there if there's not the best story, but it has good music or good visuals, I may still get pulled into it. And this one 
to me didn't really have any of those and the, the animation while good at portraying the movements of the animals kind of reminded me of the animation you would see like on those half hour saturday morning cartoons or something <laughs> so so yeah i'd say that's accurate it it's just I don't know. It's not the high-end quality stuff you would expect from a Disney movie normally. Right. So. Yeah, and and by the time it made it to video release, that Disney was in its renaissance. Right. And so you're comparing it to the the films that are coming out at that time when it gets released on video, it's nowhere near the quality of those newer Disney films. Anywho, uh, this is normally where I throw it over to Sarah to tell you where to find <laughs> us online. Uh, let me see if I can remember where that is. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we are on Facebook. Uh, you can find us. Uh, we have a group, I think, which is just Retrograding Podcast. Uh, we have another thing that is Retrograding <laughs> wow. Party Line where you guys can contact each other. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, give us a like, a subscribe, all the good things that you can do, do those for us. Um, Sarah's better at this than I am. Uh, so, uh, our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or no more. Uh, so, that is going to bring us to our final segment, which... I normally do a jokey joke here for the lesson that I've learned some, uh, because the segment is called, Guys, I Learned Something Today. Uh, so I normally try to find something humorous, but there's something in this film that legitimately bothered me that I, I took away as a lesson. Don't let your kids wander alone in New York. <laughs> Have we learned nothing from Home Alone 2? It always leads to disaster. Hey, you know what? That movie ended up okay for him. Uh, yeah, when another stranger came and saved him. Yeah. Anywho, we will probably get to the Home Alone movies sometime in the future. And that's going to close out for this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. Mm -hmm.